And of course, our text is Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, and Dial just read that. I want to thank you, Dial. He is graciously, well, he didn't, I didn't have to ask him many times, but he graciously accepted to do the announcements and read the text on Sunday morning, so thank you, brother. As I thought about introduction to this, this is a uh, very weighty passage. And can I just make a qualifier up front? I, I would urge you to go back, read it again, find a good commentary. Uh, if you want to know one, I, I can recommend some to you after service, but really dig into this. There's so much here that I don't have the time to present everything. So my goal this morning is just to touch the highlights, and hopefully with that, the Spirit of God, as He moves, will whet your appetite to go back and find more about this passage. But as I began thinking about an introduction, I thought about the political process in our country and what it has constantly demonstrated. How the American people, we the American people, are always looking for a president or a leader who will bring peace and order in the midst of chaos and conflict. It also shows me and demonstrates the political process is what happens when the people do not get what they thought they were going to get, what they expected. That's, they didn't get that. For example, the 2020 presidential campaign. Joe Biden, his slogan was, our best days are still ahead, our best days still lie ahead. And Donald Trump was promises made, promises kept, or make America great again. Now, when, of course, uh, Biden won the election, and Reuters, which is a global information and news provider that's based in London, England, they provide these surveys, these polls. So when Biden took office, his approval rating was quite high. This is January 21st of 2021. His approval rating was 55%. Well, he's just started. He just took the office, and 41% disapproved of him being president. Now, as time went on, I'm not going to share all the news with you. You know what's happened. People became uh, kind of upset with him. They didn't get what they expected. And we had the 2022 midterms not too long ago. What did this result in? A split government. The House went to the Republicans. 222 to 213. And the Senate went to the Democrats, but the seats are only 51 to 49. So you can see we almost have a split government up in the legislative branch, the Senate and the House. And as of the fifth of this month, Biden's approval rating went down to 41%. Only 41% of approve, and now 52% disapprove of his job as president. But the reason I bring all that up, we're not talking about politics this morning, is despite setbacks such as this, humanity, mankind, you and me, will continue to search for that one leader who can solve all our problems and provide us with a sense of security and order. A leader who will bring worldwide peace and prosperity. Now, there is a leader coming who will promise just that. But he will be revealed for what he truly is, a puppet of Satan. He will demand to be worshipped and he will pour out his wrath upon those who refuse to do so. That's what we're reading about in our text. He promises peace and prosperity and we as mankind are always looking for a leader who can do such things. Can I just jump to the conclusion here for a second? The only way we're going to have true peace is when Jesus Christ comes back. 
That's the only time we're going to experience true peace, God's peace. Now, I think it's important that we take active, uh, participate in the elections, but I know that any man or woman who gets elected the president will let us down from time to time. Why? Is it because they're a human being, just like you and me, sinners. Let's look at our text. Verse 1. The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, or literally the sea. Now chapter 12 con uh, concluded with the dragon being raised against the woman, and he was pursuing her children. And remember, they qualify who the rest of her children are by who keeps the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now he is, pictured here, standing expectantly on the shore of the sea. Now it's interesting because some of your translations will put this verse at the ending of verse 12. Some will put that at the beginning of verse 13. It makes sense to have it as verse 1 in chapter 13 because he is behind the dragon. He's standing there expectantly waiting and the, and the beast has ties with the dragon. Look what he says next. Then I saw a beast coming or rising up out of the sea. In Daniel chapter 7, the sea represents the Gentile nations who arise over Israel. In the ancient world, the sea was looked at as a place of chaos and evil. And it's easy to imagine how in the midst of chaos resulting from the breaking of the seals and the sounding of the trumpets, this world will really give power to someone who comes on the scene and can bring order of the chaos. Remember, the seals have been broken. The, the trumpets have sounded and the peals of thunder. So there's some chaos going on. A lot happening if you go back and read the first 12 chapters of Revelation. There's no wonder why people willing to see this, this beast rise up and he catches their attention. He describes some more in verse 1. Look back. Having ten horns and seven heads and on his ten horns were ten diadems. Once again, Daniel chapter 7 helps with the interpretation of the ten horns. They represent king, ken, excuse me, represent ten kingdoms which make up the power of the beast. Now this kingdom coalition will form in the end times, this last three and a half years of the tribulation. Now, I have to qualify this. There are people who identify who these nations are. I'm going to simply tell you, the text does not clearly state who these nations are and what they are doing. He just tells us the description, so I'll, I'll leave that to you. It's a good discussion to have, but due to time constraints, I'm not going to chase that rabbit right now, to which some of you would say, Oh, man, okay. Give you a perfect opportunity. Revelation chapter 17, verses 9 through 11, will help us identify the seven heads. They are seven kings ruling over seven kingdoms. The seven great kingdoms of world history. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and of course the final empire that will come at the last day. So that's what they talk represent. But let's go further how he's presented. He's talking about having diadems. Now, a diadem can be translated crown, but there's a difference in the crowns here. This crown refers to a kingly crown in contrast to a victor's crown. There is a difference. So this diadem represents earthly power, an earthly king, where this other crown called, uh, 
You can see it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, a victor's crown. And 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also all those who have loved his appearing. There's a different Greek word being used here that can be translated crown. I want you to understand the crowns on this beast represent earthly power, earthly authority. That only makes sense when you look at the horns and you look at the heads, what they represent. So this is all earthly power and authority. Keep that in mind. And look on the heads, verse 1. On his heads were blasphemous names, names that blaspheme God. This description alone reveals the nature and the purpose of this beast. Now the Greek word translated blasphemous has a basic sense of speak against, but also includes the ideas of despise, taunt, reproach, even curse. See, it's more than the failure just not to believe in God, endorse his program and his ways. It is active hatred, open opposition to creator God. So the motives of intentions of each of these kingdoms is now stated for us what their purpose is. The blaspheme God. But he goes further than that in the text. We'll get there in just a moment. Look at verse 2. It's like a leopard, had feet like a bear, a mouth like the mouth of a lion. It's interesting to me that this beast contains elements from the beasts described in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel's vision, he watched a lion-like beast, represents Babylonia, followed by a lion-like beast, I already said that's followed by a bear-like beast, Medo-Persia, and the bear-like beast is followed by a leopard-like beast, Greco-Macedonia. And all of these beasts are now followed by the forest beast that was altogether different. So this fourth beast that John sees has all these characteristics of the first three beasts in in Daniel chapter 7. And now this forest beast is a lot different. The same thing happens in Daniel chapter 7. And in fact, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, looks how he describes is dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. And that's New America Standard. The Holman Christian translates this way, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong, and the NIV, very powerful. This beast is very powerful, very strong, very dreadful. And look in verse 2 once again. The dragon, remember the dragon is Satan, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. The beast, I mean, excuse me, the dragon is the source of the beast's authority and power. He stands behind the beast because he, the dragon, is all the opposition against God. And it gets interesting now in verse 3. Saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. Now, this head could be referring to a human leader, as we talked about The heads can represent kings, if so. It's apparent here that Satan's trying to counterfeit Jesus Christ's resurrection. In fact, this is the same language that's used back in chapter 5, verse 6. The lamb who had been slain. But it cannot be a genuine resurrection because Satan does not have the power to give life. Maybe it's representing a kingdom here, this, this head that was wounded. And that seems to be hidden in verse 14. 
because it is the beast, not just one of his head in verse 14, that is wounded by the sword. Look in verse 14. The beast who had the wound of the sword has come to life. And that's true, then it's consistent with Daniel chapter 17, excuse me, Daniel chapter 7, where the fourth beast is represented both by the historical Roman Empire and the future alliance. So however you see this, and I, I find myself agreeing with some of the scholars that say this is Satan's attempt to kind of mock the Trinity here, the Son. This beast seems to have a wound that was miraculously healed. Does that remind you of anybody? Almost talks like the Son who was dead and rose again, but this is different because it's counterfeit. It cannot be real. I want to iterate again, Satan does not have the power to impart life. But look what happens because of this. Look at verse 3. The whole earth was amazed or astonished and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? He rises up. They see him. He's ferocious. He's powerful. He has a head. It looks like it's been wounded, but now it's healed. And they respond in worship. One thing I want to point out, notice that this worship is conditioned by fear rather than faithfulness. They are fearful of the beast. That's why they're worshiping him, because they don't want to be killed. They don't have any pain, so they're bowing down to him out of fear and not out of faithfulness. Look at verse 5. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant or proud words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. He opened his mouth and blasphemes against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. That is who dwell in heaven. That 42 months is the last three and a half years of the tribulation. This is taking place. Now, bear with me. This also goes back to where you believe about the tribulation. Will the church be here, be raptured before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation? Once again, I don't have time to chase that rabbit. But you can see all these pieces coming together. That's why I want to encourage you to go back and read everything in context and do your own study. John's audience would have been familiar with the Roman government and how they blaspheme against God. The emperors had titles to declare themselves deity. In fact, you would have to throw a pinch of incense in there and declare that Caesar is God. So that his audience would be aware of blaspheming against God with the Roman government. But this is going a lot further. The beast is taking a lot further than the Roman government ever did. Because he's openly blaspheming God, both against his name and against those who worship and follow him. Now, I don't know if you catch this when Dara read this verse 7, but look back and look what it says. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Literally, that Greek word means to conquer them. Did you hear what I just said? This beast is given authority to make war with the saints. Literally, that word is holy ones. Who are the saints? Yeah, guys been paying attention. Saints, to overcome them, to conquer them. Now, the dragon does stand behind the beast. As we just read in verse 2, he gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. 
But ultimately, God has all authority. God allows this to happen. Now, God is not the author of evil. He cannot tempt others, and he cannot be tempted. James chapter 1, verse 13. The dragon is the one lying behind the power to make war and conquer the saints. However, God in his wisdom allows it for the moment. Just for a moment, God allows this to happen. Now, there is a time and limitations on this. Jesus speaks about this back in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days have been cut short. Talking about the great tribulation, part of that verse that no one's ever seen before. So I want you to understand that God is the ultimate authority. He's allowing this to happen. Look what it says next. Authority, pay close attention, authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nations was given to him. That leaves nobody out. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. That's everybody. That word all means all. But there is an exception. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. The only, re- the only way you escape this is by having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Now how do we do that? When we come to Christ and we give Him our lives, we place our faith and trust in Him, He becomes our Lord and our Savior. Everybody is going to worship him. Everybody except those who are Christians and have their name written in the book of life. It's not about church membership. It's not about denominations. It's not about a ritual. It's all about having a relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus the Christ. Do you have that? As this passage shows us that many names inscribed in this book will die a martyr's death. It's teaching us something that the scriptures teach all over the place. That this life that we're living is temporary. And it's unpredictable. How unpredictable is this life? You get a phone call one day and your whole world's turned upside down. But as God's children, we'll experience one day a life that is not temporary, that's not unpredictable. It's eternal life with God in heaven for all eternity. And that's the only life that's worth having. That's the only life worth having possession of. Which begs the question, how do you possess that? It's all in faith in Jesus Christ. It's all about becoming a Christian and having a living relationship with him. And can I just say, I love what's going on in our country. Started at Asbury. Now, it's going across college campuses. But I want you to hear me on something. It's wonderful. God is moving. But really, it's nothing new. That's what God wants to do here. People who confess and repent and want to hear from him and to worship them with all their heart. That's what he desires for all these people. And he's showing you and me, look, I still desire this. I will still move. I will still listen if you just turn your attention to me. Verse 9 has that, that cry out, that proclamation. He, he who has an ear, let him hear. Listen to what this text is talking about. This is going to happen. 
many will be deceived. And they'll worship the beast. We have the second beast from the earth coming in the mark of the beast, the seven bowls of wrath. I have to repeat it again. There is only one way to be saved from this, and that's through Christ. Look what he says in verse 10. Here is the perseverance, the steadfastness, and the faith of the saints. The Greek word translated perseverance, or as NIV puts it, patient endurance. It's derived from two Greek words. One that's translated remain is coupled with the proposition of under. So what the picture is, a man who's bearing an indescribable heavy load and yet making no effort to stop himself in the burden of its burden. It's, it's taking it on. He's telling us it's going to happen. We have to persevere. We have to be steadfast. And keep strong in our faith. In any age, there are two things essential for us as Christians. And that's faith coupled with endurance. Faith in God's promises and His Word. And endurance is the outward working of that faith. So I claim to have faith in God. I believe His promises. That will enable me to have endurance because that's an outworking of that faith. Or as James would put, faith with works. Do you practice your faith? Do you have endurance? Now, it's very easy for us here in 21st century America to look back at this and say, well, you know, this is great and everything, but it hasn't happened yet. It depends on who you read. I, I refer you back to that. So it does not matter to us today. This, this beast hasn't risen from the sea as of yet, so how does it relate? Huh. Let me read a passage to you. 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you've heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. I hope you get my point here. He may have not repaired or revealed himself as yet, but the spirit of the Antichrist is here already. And I believe you see it even being wrapped up more and more as time goes on. So in light of that, we can get some practical guidance on how we should live today. First of all, you, me, Everybody who claims to be a follower of Christ needs to consider our worship. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. None. God says, I come first. The easy way to check that, check your checkbook. Check your calendar. Check your debit, your uh, bank statement. Where are you spending your money? Where are you spending your time? 
What do you occupy yourself with? Do you have time for everything else but not with God and His Word? I've told you this before, I'll tell you again. Sunday morning hearing the Word proclaimed is important. I take what I do very seriously, but this is the only time you're cracking up the Word of God to study it for yourself. You will fail. Have faith in the purposes and the promises of God. Do we really believe God? Do you really believe that when you pray, you go into the Holy of Holies before God Himself and He hears you? You can have confidence that He hears you. He invites you in. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God truly answers prayer? I would argue that those young people in Asbury said, I know God hears our prayers. Let's pray. And let's not stop until we hear from God. We need to take every captive thought. We need to take every thought captive before that thought takes captivity of us. We need to control our thought life. We need to be seeking and asking God to show me how to apply His Word to my life. And also have the endurance, that visible outworking of my faith. What are we allowing to enter our minds? It affects our thoughts, and that affects our hearts. What are we watching? What are we listening to? We have to be constantly constantly evaluating everything and comparing them to what God's Word says. Confession and repentance is not just a one-time action. It should happen every day. This beast, or some people refer to him as the Antichrist, this is, I'm so sure it's going to happen, I can speak to him in the past tense. It's already happened. It's coming. And there's only one way you can't be saved, and that's through Christ. Have you made a profession of Christ? Have you publicly confessed and repented of your sins? Have you done that? And if you have, Are you living out your faith? Are you building his kingdom? As I read further and further into Revelation, the urgency of getting the gospel out becomes heavier and heavier on my heart because time is running out. We like to talk about Revelation sometimes, about the pearly gates and the gold streets and all that's wonderful. But have we ever wept for the people who are lost, who have spent all eternity in darkness without God? They don't have to. Everybody's welcome. I don't care what you've done. Who you are. Time for repentance and mercy and forgiveness is now. Now, not later. Church, saints, holy ones, do you desire to see God's spirit move? What are you going to do about it? 
how far are you willing to go? Are you willing to pray, God, do whatever is necessary? That's a wonderful prayer, and if you meet it from your heart, but you better hold on because God will reveal stuff to you that may kind of set you back a little bit. But we serve a very loving, forgiving God. He's telling us His plan. He's telling us how it's all going to go down. What's going to happen. Why? Because He loves you that much. He's warning us. Telling us. What are you going to do? It's an invitation. God's inviting you to respond. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your love. And your peace, your forgiveness, and your mercy. Father, we know that the time is short. Each passing moment we get closer to the events that we're reading about in your word. And even now, we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. And people's souls are hanging in the balance. Father, I pray you do whatever is necessary. Father, we, we long to be in your presence. We long to hear from you. As old hymnal says, oh God, don't pass us by. Please. Continue to pour out your spirit in this place. And may respond to it in complete obedience. Father, reveal to these gathered how much you love them. Pour out your peace and love upon them in such a way they will know without a shadow of doubt they're in your presence. We love you. We adore you. Oh God, we need you. We desperately need you. Yes, God. Let your spirit continue to move. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.